take out your outlines. Today we are talking about a very important subject. I guess you could even call today Sanctity of Life Sunday. If you recall, earlier this year, we were in a series called 40 Days of Love, and that happened to fall on, quote, the Sanctity of Life Sunday, where thousands of churches across this great land, we're talking about this subject. And at that time, I said, I want to talk about this, but I don't want to interrupt our series. And so the first chance I get, I will talk about the sanctity of life. And today's message is called, simply, Let There Be Life. And I'm taking this from the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13 is very simple, just four words, you shall not murder. Now listen to me, it's the sixth of the Ten Commandments. You say, why is it so far down on the list? I would think that would be number one, no. The first four commandments are are man-God related. In other words, God says, let's get the priority right. I'm number one. And so the first commandment is, God's number one, you'll have no other God before me. Now if we kept that one, the other nine would fall right into place. But have you always made God number one? Uh, There's times in my life when I don't do that. And so we fall short. The second commandment is likened to the first. It is, don't worship idols. Don't create an idol or bow down to it, whether you create an idol with your hands or an idol with your mind of who you think God is. The third commandment is, don't use God's name in vain. Be very, very careful how you use the name of a holy God. And even Christians, I notice... Sometimes use God's name like an oh wow, and we reduce it. We use it loosely and unaccounted for. Don't do that. The fourth of the Ten Commandments is, this book says we're to keep the Sabbath day holy. In other words, one in seven days, take off. Don't work. Rest your body and remember God. He even took a day off. Remember, Uh, A lot of people say, well, there were seven days of creation. Not so. There were six days of creation. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested. Not that God goes, boy, this earth creation universe making thing is a real difficult thing. I need a day off. No, God could have kept on going eons and eons of creating. That wasn't the issue. God says, I did that as an example for you to take a day off. If I do it, follow my lead. Then we come to the fifth commandment, which is, 
Honor your father and mother. We're going to be doing that next month, Mother's Day, June, Father's Day. We're going to do the biblical thing, and we're going to spend those Sundays honoring moms and honoring dads. Now, why are we going to do that? Well, not, number one, it's biblical. But number two, all of these commandments are in descending order. Do you recognize that? God's number one. Number two, no images. Number three, watch how you use my name. Number four, keep the Sabbath. Those first four, God-man related. Now the next six are man-man related. And you say, well, Bruce, why is honoring your mom and dad number five? And number six is don't murder somebody. I would think number six, God's got it all wrong. God's got the order out of whack. Six should be where five is and then maybe five. You ever thought that way? No, 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 no. God knows exactly what He is doing. Because if you don't learn to honor your parents, your father and mother, whether they're believers or not, He didn't didn't qualify that. Hopefully you were raised in a Christian household that you had a believing, praying mother and father. But even if you didn't, God says you need to respect that position because they are the closest thing to earth that you've got that's related to God. Because God uses the authorities that are above us to correct us and to help us do what is right. And the highest authority you have on earth are your parents. And if you don't learn to respect and honor them, guess what you're not going to do? You're never going to learn to respect and honor God, who's number one. And therefore, you're not going to respect what God says, number six, don't murder. See how that works? See how God has it in perfect order? Now, I know some of you are thinking, Bruce, we can just skip number six. Um, My urge to murder doesn't happen very often, except when I'm driving on California freeways. And Bruce, of a church our size, I doubt that we have one or two hitmen in the church. <laughs> and so you could probably just skip this one and just move on. So you think. God is not just interested in what you do. God's interested in what you think. God is interested in what's going on in your heart. Let me give you an example of this. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, said... You've heard it said by those of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. That's the seventh commandment. Don't commit adultery. Right after murder is number seven. Don't commit adultery. Someone says, I've never committed adultery. Yeah, but have you ever thought and looked upon a woman? And vice versa. It's true both ways. Ah, Jesus said there's a bunch of adulterers at heart. He's looking at what? The way we think and what's going on in our, on the inside. Then in that same sermon, he says, you've heard it said by them of old time, thou shalt not murder. That's number six. But I say unto you, whoever hates his brother. Now look, he takes it up a notch. And this is really what the sixth man was all about in the first place. He says, look, I'm sure that 
Cain thought about murdering his brother Abel before he ever committed the act, right? It starts where? Up here. And so he says, be very careful how you think. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer of heart. Have you hated someone to the point that you wished that they were dead? Well, the name Clarence Darrow said, I've never murdered anybody, but I've read a whole lot of obituaries with glee. God's interested in your heart. He's interested in what you think. In America today, here's some statistics for you. By the sixth grade, our young people have watched 8,000 murders and over 100,000 acts of violence on television alone. Every 22 minutes in our country, USA, land of the free, home of the brave, someone is either stabbed, shot, or beaten to death. We have the highest murder rate in the world. And so we read Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, You shall not murder... I know that seems straightforward enough, but you know what? It's often misunderstood, misappropriated, and misinterpreted. Now, let's take a look at really what it's talking about. What this command, let's start with what it's not. Number one, it's not prohibiting killing animals, as some would have you think. And they'll hold up signs, you know. Thou shalt not kill. The word for kill in the Hebrew is the word murder. That's not what this is talking about. The Bible makes a distinction between human life and animal life. God commanded, did you know this? In the Old Testament, animal sacrifices. You say, Bruce, why would God do that? Is he some bloodthirsty, vindictive God? No, no, no. He was trying to teach us a lesson. What was the lesson? Well, if every time you sinned, you had to offer an animal sacrifice, pretty soon you're going to kind of get to the point, well, there is a very high cost to sin, right? You know, we don't think about sinning today because we don't associate it with having to offer an animal. And he's trying to teach us that, you know, once you run out of sheep to offer, you know, once you run out of animals to sacrifice, your flock is diminishing. You want to throw up your hands and say, God, who can do this? And God's saying, yeah, that's the purpose of the law. I want you to see that you can't do it. And one day, a Savior's coming. The Lamb, behold, the Lamb of God, John said, who takes away the sin of the world. I want you to look at that one-time sacrifice for all-time sacrifice. Because really, the blood of bulls and goats didn't even touch the sin problem. Never did. Jesus' blood on the cross not only went this way for us, but it went that way for them. And every sacrifice that they offered in the Old Testament was looking forward to Jesus Christ. Every offering that they made was an act of faith. And how is man saved today? For by grace you are saved through faith. So it's always an act of faith. But there's a high cost to sin. And that high cost of sin needs, leads us to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. It's not talking about, number two, 
killing animals for food. It's okay to kill animals for food. Bruce, do you have a passage on this? Yes, Genesis 9, verse 3. And, and this leads me to think that up to this point, mankind were basically vegetarians. Because now he says everything, not some things, but everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you what? Everything. What's that include? Animals. So, what's God saying in Genesis chapter 9? If you want to be a vegetarian, fine. If you want to have a steak, fine. If you like tofu, have at it, I say. I'm sort of a meat and potatoes man myself. Number two, it's not prohibiting capital punishment. Some people, when the state is going to take a life, and this is a very serious thing, will protest and they'll hold up signs that say, thou shalt not kill. But that's not even what the Hebrew says. It says, thou shalt not murder. Leviticus 24.17 says, Anyone who commits murder shall be put to what? Death. The principle is a life for a life. So some things the Bible even recognizes are so heinous that death is required. And God authorizes the government to carry this out. Not you and me. Not you and me. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. This is God's method. Not for my vengeance, but God says, for my vengeance, I'm going to use governments that are working properly to do this. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 4. The government, not you, don't take justice into your own hands. That is not your right. This is the way God operates. Just as your parents were an umbrella of authority over you, so is the government. God uses government's authorities to shape us and to mold us. Obey the laws of the land. Pray for those in high places. The government is there to serve who? God. And when governments are working right and properly, God is served. And when they're not, well, you know the consequences. They're there to serve God for your benefit. They carry out God's revenge, not yours, but God's, by punishing wrongdoers. Does that make sense? And so God appropriately uses governments. And when capital punishment is needed, God has provided a way to carry that out. Now, when President William McKinley was assassinated, his assassin was caught, he was convicted, and he was executed in 53 days. Do you think that would happen today? Not a chance. Years and years and years take place before an execution happens. And that's one of the reasons Oliver Wendell Holmes said, justice delayed is what? Justice denied. Now, some people say, but Bruce, I don't think capital punishment really deter, deters criminals. 
To which I say, it does for the one killed. Someone says, no, just give them a life sentence in prison. Do murders ever happen in prison, folks? And very often they happen from people that have committed murder before and they know they're never getting out. What else are you going to do to me? For the one that murders, when he's justice is applied to him, that person will never murder again. Number three, this commandment is not talking about prohibiting going to war, as I've heard people say. Ecclesiastes 3.8 actually says, did you know this? The Bible actually says, there is a time for war. Did you know that God actually commanded His people to go to war and destroy another people because those people had gotten so wicked that God says, we've got to take every single one of them out. It's not just taking over land. Remember, when they took over the promised land, they had to fight battles, right? But God says, you cannot have the promised land until the iniquity of the Malachites is full. What's he talking about there? He says, that nation can continue to live. I will continue to tolerate these wicked people until I'm up to here. There comes a point when a nation gets so corrupt and so wicked that God will have another nation take them out. And you know what, you know what the straw was? that Finally, God says, no more. They cannot exist anymore. You know what they were doing? They were committing child sacrifice to a god named Moloch. He was an iron god. And many of these iron gods, a bull-like god, had mechanical arms, and they would light a fire in the belly of this god called Molak and get that thing scorching hot. And the people would bring their newborn babies, and the mechanical arms would come out on this Molak. You can just imagine these flaming hot, brazing hot arms coming out. And the parents would lay their baby in the arms of Molak. And it's sizzling as the arms of Molak now are retracted in and dropped into the belly of this God. God said, that's enough. Take them out. I'm done with these people. And rightfully so. There is a time for war. God commanded it. There are some things worth fighting for. I think freedom is worth fighting for. How about you? I think defending the innocent is worth fighting for. And I think stopping evil is worth fighting for. Now, I know you've got to choose your battles carefully. Count the cost. Make sure you're biblically in line with Scripture. But if we do nothing, what do the fellows say? All that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And then evil takes over. Don't want that to happen. So what this command is not about, it's not about prohibiting killing animals. It's not about prohibiting capital punishment, as some would have you to believe. And it's not about prohibiting going to war. So how is this command applied to us? 
right here in, in the good old USA, our nation, how is it applied in our families? Number one, God says no to suicide. God says no to suicide. There is never, ever, ever a reason that you should take your own life. Get it? Good. I want to to instill that in you. And there's a reason for that. Suicide is the number two killer in our nation among college students. And it's the number three killer in our nation among high school students. More kids are killed by suicide every year than in traffic accidents. People say, it's my life. I can do what I want with it. No, you can't. Not according to my book. Not according to what my God has to say about that. He says, no, you don't. You don't have the right to take your own life. You say, Bruce, where's that verse in the Bible? Feeling better. Thank you for your prayers. Men's group, thank you for your prayers. My Bible class, thank you for your prayers. Church, thank you for your prayers this morning. The tide always comes back in. The sun will shine again. You matter to God. You have a purpose in life. And He can help you with your despair no matter what it is. Number two. God says no to mercy killing. Uh, Euthanasia is what they call it today. It's causing the death of someone because of a deformity. You know, they don't belong in society. They're deformed. Or just maybe old age. They've lived long enough. Time to take them out. Or maybe disease. You know, this child's going to be born with a disease. They won't live very long. Their quality of life won't be that great. So just euthanize them. Or even worse... It's just inconvenient to have a baby right now. Mm. God says, you don't have the right to do that. Job 12, verse 10, It is God who directs the lives of His creatures. Every man's life is in His power, not yours. Every man's life. Only God has the right to determine when I should stop living. It's His choice. There there was a guy who thought he had the right to determine who was fit to live and who wasn't. His name was Adolf Hitler. God says, no, you don't have that right. Number three, God says, no to abortion. God says, no to abortion. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Listen to this verse. Listen to the person talking. Listen to the pronouns here. You, God, created every part of me. That's a person. You put me together in my mother's womb. When my bones were being formed, when I was, I was growing there in secret, You knew I was there. You actually saw me before there was ultrasound. You saw me before I was born. The days allotted to me were all recorded in your book before any of them ever 
began. Did you know there's books in heaven? Your life's in there. Your name's, the recording of your life is in there. How long you will live is in there. Who's in charge of those books? Not me, but who? God. And what is this word picture all about that we're reading here in Scripture? He's talking about a baby inside of his mother's womb. He's talking about a human being, just a little baby. And some person comes along and says, no, that's just a blob of tissue. Does that sound like a blob of tissue to you? You know, maybe from Earth's point of view, people say, just a blob of tissue, that's all I I see. We got ultrasounds now, that's just a blob of tissue. But you know, from Heaven's point of view, you know what he sees? He sees a baby. He sees a life. And every abortion stops a beating heart. Everyone does. Everyone short-circuits the plan that God has for that life. There are no unplanned babies. A whole lot of unplanned parents, right? But no unplanned babies. God wants everyone. God loves everyone. You say, well, Bruce, what about a baby that came came about because of a sin and wrongdoing? God wants that baby too. God loves that baby too. God has a plan for that life. I had a, a girl in my youth group years ago that was a byproduct of a, of a, of a, a rape on a train. Her mother was raped coming from Europe trying to come to America and was raped by a man. And that mother chose to keep that baby. And that baby became a believer in Jesus and a part of our youth group. And that mother and daughter led other people to Christ and gave me names of people that they knew and loved who I led to Christ. See how God has a plan for every life? Every life. Shocking facts on abortion. This National Right to Life Society got these from 1973. That's a big date. You all know about that. To 2015, 58,586,256 abortion took place right here in America alone. That means about 25% of all pregnancies in America end in abortion. That's like one in four. Okay, one, two, three, four. Tony, you're not here. One, two, three, four. Just go down the row. One in four. Isn't that staggering? Isn't that heartbreaking? Over 3,000 babies every day are killed in their mother's womb. Every day that takes place. That's more than all the wars. Every day. And it's still continuing. 97% of abortions are not because of rape or incest or the mother's life is in danger. 97%. Just 3% fall into that other category. Just simply a mother says, it's inconvenient. I choose not to have my lifestyle interrupted. Some will argue, well, I don't think any child should ever be brought into this world unwanted. The fallacy with that is that maybe the parents don't want the child. 
But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want the child. Who are we to listen to? Men or God? God. And I guarantee you, somebody wants that child here on earth. Somebody will take the time and the trouble and the money and the expense to raise that child. People are on waiting lists. People are going overseas to adopt children because we're killing all our babies. Isn't that sick? Now, I know guilt can be overwhelming. I want to I end on a high note. I want to talk some positive stuff here. I don't want you leaving with a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of stain, especially there may be somebody here today that's had an abortion. You know what? God loves you too. And just like any other sin, the good news is you can repent of that one and God will forgive even you. Isn't that good? Maybe God brought you here today to say, you've been beating yourself up. Maybe you felt guilty over that for years. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. Just turn to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I, I messed up. If I could take it back, I would. Right now, Father, I need to get rid of this guilt. I need to get rid of this pain, this stain in my life. And he will do it. My God is eager to forgive. If I learn anything about the prodigal son's story, it's this. It's not how far from God you've wandered. It's just one step back, right? Didn't the father see the child while he was a long ways away and run to meet that child? He is anxious to forgive. He is eager to forgive, no matter what you've done here in this life. God will forgive you. And one other thing, and I'll close with this. Did you not know that the Bible was written by... Let me say it this way. Most of the Bible, most of this book was written by three murderers. Did you know that? Let's start with Moses. The Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible were written by a murderer. David was an adulterer and a murderer. The longest book in the Bible I think 150 chapters, the book of Psalms, written by who? A murderer, who God describes as a man after God's own heart. Then there was this guy named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. His name was changed to what, folks? Paul. He held the coats of the men that stoned a deacon in the church by the name of Stephen to death. And then he would wreak havoc on the church, imprisoning Christians, torturing Christians. You know how many books of this New Testament he wrote? Thirteen. Tell me we don't have a loving and forgiving God. If he can forgive Saul of Tarsus, if he can forgive these three murderers, he can forgive you. Amen? That's the message of grace. It doesn't matter where you've been, but what direction are your feet headed now? Let's pray. You know, you matter to God. And your conception and birth 
were not by accident. God planned you. And He wants you and His family. He has a purpose for every life, including yours. And you know what? We've all made mistakes. Every single one of us. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not even one. We've all done things that we've regretted. But the good news is, God can bring good even out of our own bad choices. And so, Father, forgive us and give us a brand new, fresh start today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing to the Lord.